Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and this is a podcast where we talk about what's possible through the regenerative lens. We can see an abundant future if we see all the solutions, and that's what we're all about here. We're about sharing the incredible solutions, and one of those people that has been a guiding light in the permaculture movement has been Eric Olson. His example, his work with the Permaculture Skills Center, he co-founded it, the Permaculture Artisans and how he has stacked businesses and created a community center by stacking businesses in such a way that, I mean, no one has done it before. It's this harmonious ecosystem of businesses on one site, just like any community center would, but it's all for profit and it's all helping people regeneratively. An absolutely amazing opportunity. Eric actually was someone who, you know, had faith in me really early on and was someone who was giving me space to do the Permaculture Life School. And it's a school that never, never was. It actually turned into the Permaculture Student Online because I did an Indiegogo for a physical school and I just I got the clear message that people wanted an online one. So that's what I did. And that's what I was trained in. And so that's that it was easy and it was fun. And that's what I continue to do today. But it was on Eric's site at the Permaculture Skills Center where I was going to do it. So this is a huge thing. This is really exciting to be able to talk and you know come full circle with Eric. He, you know, he has taught so many people about permaculture, trained so many professionals and reskilling with regenerative skills um, that he is very well known, respected in his community and relied upon. And so he, he is a voice of wisdom. He's been at this a long time. We'll dive in deep. We'll, we'll, we'll hear about it all. And so let's start right now with Eric Olson. <music> Yeah, I came into permaculture in 1998, and so I was 19 years old, and I was sort of one of those kids that in high school, I didn't find a lot of value in the academic path, Um, and my dad being a, a university professor and having grandparents who were professors, I felt a lot of pressure to follow that traditional educational pathway of going to college and 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 you know all that and creating a career but uh, when I was in high school for me nature was calling me mm. um, ever since I was you know 16 I got a lot more value out of um, adventuring along the coast than I did being in school which didn't do great for my high school grades but when I got out of high school I was, very inspired about connecting with the natural world. And I had made some really good friends through playing soccer, not, not even at my high school, but through playing soccer. I made a friend, uh, my best friend, Michael, and his older brother, Craig. I started spending a lot of time with them at their house. And what happened was that um, we created a organization that gave away community gardens. And the reason why I started to wake up when I was 18 to the things that were happening in the world, waking up to um, privatization of water and the the clear cutting of the old growth redwoods was a huge issue back then that a lot of folks in our region were really turned on about. And so 
as I started to awaken more to the kinds of things that were happening on the planet, I got very concerned and I felt like, well, for me, I need to be part of the solution. And so what my friends and I did was we created an organization called Planting Earth Activation, the acronym PEA, uh, P, like a pea plant. And our goal was to plant and grow seed-saving gardens in our community and give them away for free. So we would actually organize these neighborhood block parties. And what's so funny is this is before social media came onto the scene in a big way. So nowadays you hear about organizations that are doing the same kind of stuff we did with PEA way back when, but we didn't have a platform to really communicate to the world about it because just technology just didn't operate like that. So in uh, Northern California, we gave away over 200 community gardens in a two-year period. We built uh, essentially built a movement in our community, in our town of of Sebastopol in West Sonoma County, uh, where we were turning lawns into food-producing, seed-saving gardens. So in many ways, the seeds really called to me first, and that our mission was as a direct response to Monsanto um, Terminator seed technology and the threat to the biosphere of this huge corporation, our response was, well, we need to grow and save as many heirloom and open pollinated seeds as we can and create a seed safety net in our community. So as soon as we started organizing and uh, implementing these gardens and building this movement in our community, some of the Northern California permaculture leaders um, took note and they invited us to their table to offer support and mentorship because here we are um, 19 and 20 and 21 year olds, um, that with really no guidance, um, no real mentorship at the beginning, we're just like figuring it out and we're inspired and passionate and energetic and everything was volunteerism. That's amazing. (laughs) So it's like you were living permaculture before you even knew the word. Yeah, absolutely. We, and we were, very passionate activists. I feel the thing about those that time, which for me is um, awe-inspiring about what we did, was that we initiated a gift economy without even knowing what that was. Yeah. We just we just knew that in order to make the kind of change that we saw possible, we had to take action. And so for us, it wasn't a question of how are we going to do it or where are we going to get the money or are we going to get paid or anything like that. It was we're doing it. Nobody's getting in our way. Nobody's stopping us. You know, wake up in the morning and what seeds are we planting today? We're either going to gorilla garden somewhere in a public space or we're going to have permission to garden. But all we know is we're planting seeds today wherever we can get access. Wow. And and so that was an incredible way for me to like build that foundation of relationships. You had mentioned, you know, over, you know, because it's been two decades now and and the the foundation of relationships really goes back to those early days and and the kinds of um, partnerships that we made with organizations like the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, with the Regenerative Design Institute, with the Earth Activist Training, that those partnerships and those mentors really uh, plowed the way for, you know, what would for me become my life path and my career. Yeah, you are quite the linchpin in that community up there. Thanks. It's, I mean, it's, well, you know, it's funny. It's, 
we always talk about how we want to be like the mycelium and draw everyone together. It's, you really embody that. Well, what's interesting about that, I appreciate that so much. And I think what's interesting about it is that <laughs> for a long time, I really tried to get out there and like make a name for myself and get public speaking opportunities and get in front of people and teach and all of that. And then, um, you know, and then I had some life changing situations, uh, chronic illness, activist burnout, um, getting married, wanting to start a family. So all these really, really big life changing experiences. And so what's been interesting is that I've actually tried to pull way back for the past 10 years. And the farther I try to pull back, the, the more that our work, not just me, my team, my organizations, my partners, becomes attractive to people, becomes necessary, becomes vital, becomes um, something that people want to be part of. And so for the last 10 years, I've been trying to insert others into be the face of my organizations <laughs> and trying to support others to be the teachers of our programs and, you know, trying to focus on my family. And it's so funny. It's like the more that I've, the more that I'm out of it, um, the, the more opportunities seem to arrive and the more potential there is. And so now it's managing opportunity. And luckily over the years, I've built a really incredible team. And I think that all, all I have to say, you know, any success that I have is really based on the incredible team that I work with at Permaculture Artisans, our contracting company. We have 15 employees there um, and Permaculture Skill Center, our staff there that it's it's amazing, you know, working with 20 incredible leaders who are passionate and excited about doing the work. And then collectively, you know, we, we accomplish quite a bit. Yes, you do. So how did the permaculture skill center come to be because so you're working with pea and then did because i mean the skill center to me in my mind and correct me if i'm wrong is a real node where professionals can come and get reskilled and then they can apply it to real professional contexts where most people are teaching pdcs and it's a backyard context it's a homeowner context you know and and and, and that's the niche but I don't, I, there's hardly anyone doing what you're doing and doing it so well. So how did that, that begin, that whole reskilling of professionals? Well, over the years, uh, teaching PDCs and working with different organizations and working with nonprofits and doing a lot of activist campaigns and such, a few things started to come to light for me because the activist work that I did, which was very meaningful and valuable, and social movements are a powerful tool for making change in our world. But one of the things that happened that for me during some of my um, intense engagement in social movements was that it wasn't very healthy for my physical body and and even my emotional well-being. And so w when I got really burnt out in 2004, I had to sort of question what was going to be an effective action for me. Um, how was I going to change the world the way that I'm inspired? How was I going to make an impact to heal soil and clean water and connect people back to nature and enhance habitat? How was I going to do that in a way that didn't also destroy 
myself and my body. And so what came out of that, what was born out of that was my first company, Permaculture Artisans. Wow. And so in the creation of Permaculture Artisans, we're a licensed contracting um, design and installation firm, was that in those first years of Permaculture Artisans, we planted more fruit trees and caught more water and built more soil and connected more people to land than in any of the nonprofit work I had done prior to that. But the amazing thing was, was that it wasn't in the realm of scarcity. It wasn't in the realm of like, well, I don't know how I'm gonna pay my bills this month and I'm super stressed out. It was more like, oh, I can hire friends. I can hire, um, I can hire folks from the community who are, don't have an a living wage who aren't who aren't working to restore the planet they're working in office jobs or they're working in industrial landscape jobs so as i started to grow permaculture arsons i started to see that you know not only were we restoring the land not only were we growing food not only were we connecting people back to nature but we we're actually giving meaningful career paths mm -hmm. for everybody involved in the company and so then I started to look at permaculture as a whole. And as you say, you know, a lot of it is the backyard homesteader um, approach. And for many people who get into permaculture, it's more like a hobby. And I remember there was this, this one day where I went to a restaurant to have dinner or something. And the waiter came up to me and he was someone who had taken a PDC for me. And so he was just talking about how excited he was about the, the PDC and how he's building a garden and on the weekends he worked on his garden. But here he is waiting tables to pay for his rent, to get health insurance, to have transportation, to have clothes on his back. But, you know, his basic needs were coming from waiting tables, not doing permaculture, not ecological design, not landscape restoration, even though that was his passion. That's what he's doing in his free time. You know, every free moment he has, this is what he's doing. And so that really kind of woke me up to, well, how in the world do we scale the healing of the land if there's no meaningful career paths for people in that? If it is relegated to weekend hobby work, how are we going to seriously scale this up because sure fo some folks have the privilege of having land access to land and they can do the homesteader thing and that is so cool if people can get access to land they can grow their own food and catch their own water and be off the grid and I mean that is an amazing amazing opportunity to have a low carbon footprint and do the right thing but you know if that is the the main goal in this day and age of permaculture then we've pretty much doomed most people on the planet because most people on the planet do not have access to land. They do not have access to water. And so many pe most people are living in cities, right, with very, very limited access to the kind of resources one would need to homestead their lives and take care of their basic needs that way. So if you look at the context of the current economy and the current global situation, you, look, you have a context where people have to work in order to make money to provide for their basic needs. And so why are we not creating a professional pathway for people to restore the land, to heal their communities, and have that be the thing that they do to get paid, to have a career, to provide for their basic life needs? And so the more that I looked around the global landscape of permaculture, so we say, there's almost nothing that is training people to become professionals in the field of restoring the land. And so 
if we truly want to scale up the regeneration, I believe now from my experience and all the different ways that I've um, implemented permaculture that we need professional pathways. We need career and livelihood scale trainings and mentorship and organizations so that people can do the work they love healing the planet and have that be where they get their basic income. So that's why we started the Permaculture Skill Center was specifically to fill that niche to provide professional training for farmers and landscapers. The thing about landscaping, which is so powerful, is that within the umbrella of landscaping are so many different disciplines and strategies and techniques. It's not like being a landscaper is this one thing that you have to be excited about building patios in order to be a landscaper. You could be a seed saver and you could be a professional landscaper. You could be an herbalist and you could create a professional landscaping career. You could be into children's education and you could create a professional landscaping career. I mean, I've done work with schools. I've done work with cities, with counties, with nonprofit organizations, with businesses, with farms, all through my landscape company. So the more that I look at ecological landscaping as a viable career path and all of the different options underneath that umbrella um, in terms of providing design, education, and installation services for the community, I you know, have sort of like identified that this is a huge, huge industry that we can totally transform. I mean, $72 billion a year and more of gross sales in the United States in the landscape industry. So $72 billion a year of landscapes are going in every year in the United States. And you know what if half of that was ecological? What if three quarters of that eventually becomes regenerative? We will be literally managing millions of acres in a regenerative way, if we can tool up, train, and empower people to become ecological landscapers. So that's been the point of the Permaculture Skill Center and the different programs that we've developed. And of course, we've had our long-term, you know, nine-month in-person trainings, um, which we're not doing anymore. We're discontinued those because they're not viable for the staff or the students. And so now we've taken a lot of things online. We're going to have a lot of short courses. You know, we're kind of revamping our whole program based on feedback and experience. But we're but we are 100 percent focused on mentoring and empowering and training people to become professionals in healing the land and get all those business chops and get all that mentorship so that you can actually make the kind of meaningful income one would need to have right livelihood. Yeah, we have to make it so that, that it's fashionable and popular to have it regenerative, because, I mean, the reality is when you actually see it, when they actually see the difference they're like oh wait but it's a different color green oh this is a good color green it's not neon <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they feel they, they're drawn to it and once people you know they taste it they they they, they dive in they can't help but want it well yeah and i notice that even if somebody calls us up because their well has stopped producing water because we're in the middle of a drought. And these folks might have no ecological values beyond the fact that they have no water. And so now they're looking to any alternative ways to get water. They might not eat organic or even grow a garden, but they need water to live. 
So now they're looking at roof water catchment as the only viable option. So this is really interesting how crisis can push people towards ecological design because then what happens is you show up, you help design people a roof water catchment water system and as part of that conversation, you start talking about some of the other benefits. Hey, what about gray water? What are you going to do with that gray water? What kind, hey, did you know you could grow your favorite fruit right outside your door? And little by little, whatever the entry point is, that's the cool thing about providing these services for people, is that whatever that entry point is, it usually leads to more connection. It usually leads to a deepening of relationship with the land. And But it's within this more conventional frame called landscaping, which is a pretty conventional frame. It's a service that, you know, many people will pay money for, but you can plant that seed and slowly start to bring them into deeper relationship. That's the key to centropy, right? <laughs> Just keep <laughs> yeah. spreading the goodness. So, yeah, you know, I was thinking back on what you were saying about how you found yourself drawing back and I don't think you were drawing back. I think you were, you were seeking balance. And as you were seeking balance, you you kept drawing more and more people because they saw where you were headed and they want to go there with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even with even with the concept of bringing in what was missing is also seeking that balance. And I'm, you know, in so many ways, I'm still constantly inspired by you, and I'm trying to do my part to support what you're doing and continue on that vision. And that's why I have the regenerative career guide that I'm working on right now because I want to showcase to those high school, you know, guidance counselors and those kids looking at careers that there is, you know, something beyond just the environmental science, you know, route that you can go or the ag science route, oh dear, that you can go, <laughs> you know? So like all these people who care about our natural world have no idea right now. And that's why I'm so excited to have you on here so that people can hear about stuff like the Eli program. So the ecological landscaper immersion program that just went evergreen that just went so that we can just dive in right now. Well, um, well, it's the, it's the, uh, the ecological landscape mastery program oh, okay. is our new Eli program. Was the original. And that was the classic. Eli was the original. That was the nine month in-person training. Yes. So that one, that one we're not doing anymore, but now we have Elm. <laughs> Eco Landscape Mastery, the Elm School. And we just went evergreen with that program. So that's an online program that gives people the whole foundation necessary to become professional ecological landscapers and designers. And yeah, it's it's uh you know it's taken every all my experience um and in putting it into a package where people can learn from home um at their own pace. And we've actually now are, pro are developing a certification program to become professional ecological landscapers. And that certification program is no joke. It requires over 20 different milestones that have to be reached in order to get a certificate. And the thing about this certificate program that I'm really excited about is that many of those milestones are the kinds of decisions and activities and infrastructure that one needs to complete in order to have a successful landscape business. Mm. So you're not going to get certified until you have a business structure, until you've um, accomplished at least three professional designs for clients, until you've done at least one professional install for a client, and there's a number of other milestones that are required in order to get the certification. But of course, at the Elm School, 
we are there to coach and mentor the students through those different parts. We have an online mastermind community. We have live sessions every single month. We bring in experts every single month and live. So, so our goal is, is to, um, to, for the folks who have the passion and the inspiration and the time to help people scale up and get these ecological landscape companies out there, um, successful so that folks can truly create a career path. So this isn't about concept. The ELM program isn't just about concepts and, and training. This is about literally helping people build their businesses and taking them um, step by step through that process. That is incredible. And I think that's, you know, was a weakness of the PDC model is that it kind of dropped you off. It was like, did you pay attention? Here you go. You're certified. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so this is this is really important that we kind of raise the bar and have actual criteria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, too, about our criteria for our Elm, our um, eco lands or uh, professional ecological landscaping certificate is that it's like I said, it's not made up. This is these are the real action steps. These are actual action steps that you have to accomplish in order to get your company uh, viable and and scalable. So that's kind of the you know, the more that I teach permaculture and the more that I train students, the more I realize that it's this kind of real world mentorship and real world training, which is what is so needed right now um, so that as people go through their training, they are actually, they're literally taking action, mm. you know, um, to, to physically, um, manifest their dreams in real time with support and with mentorship. And so that's, that's the goal. That's, uh, we've launched, we, we launched Elm a couple months ago. We have, we had about 40 students sign up, um, which was great for a first launch, super successful. And now we're evergreen. So now the doors are open um, for folks to sign up any day, you know, 365 days of the year and get into this key program, get into the mastermind community and get those live mentorship opportunities every month. This is huge. I mean, most people feel like there's not enough and this gives you enough. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's and it's not about being in a rush either. I mean, I think that's the other thing about the model is once you're in the community, stay stick with the community. You know, it might take a year for somebody to get a certificate. It might take even two years for someone to get a certificate. And I think that often we have this thing where we want to move really fast and we're and we get I mean, I know for myself, like I'll have a vision about something I want to do. And then and I know you're like this too, Matt. You're you're just work, 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 work. You want to accomplish your vision, right? And and it's like you eat, breathe, and sleep your vision and what you want to accomplish. Um, and sometimes you'll accomplish it in the time frame you set out for yourself. And sometimes you, there'll be some learning along the way. You're gonna hit a roadblock. You're gonna realize that you went off in a different direction than is actually the viable direction. You need to get back on your path. So you need to readjust. You need to recalibrate. And the thing about building a landscape company is it's not something you can do overnight. This is the kind of thing that is going to take time. And what I like to teach, what I like to tell my students is that a lot of the things that we do today, a lot of the relationship building that I do today, being on this podcast with you, Matt, is a great example. What we're doing right now and the energy that I'm putting into this, 
the results of this I may not see for months. It might be months and months before I see results from this because I don't know how, when you're going to edit it or promote it or whatever. And then those relationships. So think about it this way. You and our relationship, you and me, is a product of the Permaculture Voices Conference mm -hmm. and building relationship at the Permaculture Voices Conference. And here we are years later cashing in that social capital and deepening our relationship and supporting each other in a new way. But we wouldn't have known what that was like years ago when we first met. And so the point that I'm making is, is that the more that we can expand our view of what we're doing and the impact it's going to have in like the, that it's a multi-year, multi-decade, multi-generational work, then we can relax into knowing that we're doing the right thing right now. And if that right thing is a small thing, if it's just like, let me open a bank account for my new landscape company because I've never opened a bank account for a business before. And that's like a roadblock. Just get through that one little roadblock. It's not that big of a deal. A student will do that. And now they can move on to the next thing. So thinking about social capital, I was I was thinking about as I was preparing that you probably be a, the perfect person to ask what are the keys to collaborating with businesses, other businesses, and just community community uh, leaders and members. I love this question because I believe this is this is like fuel for the movement to be good collaborators and to build relationship with others, and so here are the key factors in this. The first one is that when you are building a new relationship with an organization or a partner, you want to spend more time listening than offering advice or services or your ideas. That the very first thing is to listen, just like we do in permaculture design. You want to understand the context of the organization or partner that you want to build a relationship with. You want to understand what they're passionate about. What are the problems that they're solving? What are the problems they haven't solved? And so the first piece is to listen and to start to get a lay of the land, to do an assessment of, um, uh, of the context that you might be working in this new partnership. And in that process of listening, I mean, I take this approach the similar to if I'm walking a, a landscape for the first time. You know, when I walk onto a land, a, a new landscape for the first time and I'm in a landscape assessment or reading the landscape phase, I really try as much as possible to erase any ideas that I have about the landscape initially, any design ideas and stuff. I, I kind of try to keep that stuff at bay to start with so that I'm more receptive to the nuanced patterns that I wouldn't see if I was thinking too much, you know, if I was planning too much. Same thing goes with building relationships with organizations, individuals. And when we are assessing um, potential partners, we're not just looking at what they're doing and we're not just looking at what their needs are, but we're also observing how they work. How, are, how do they communicate? How do they function? Because you need to ask yourself as a potential partner, can I operate inside that environment? You know, is this a thriving relationship for me? Is the communication style work for me? So there's a culture piece that needs to be observed, you know, to understand the, the, the culture. And then um, the next thing is always give first. 
support and give first. If it's a partnership, a relationship that you really, really want to build, then uh, help that person or that group with their project, with their campaign, uh, you know, volunteer, or if you notice a gap, you know, like, Oh, we're, we really need these resources or we, or we need somebody to do this, you know, volunteer to be the one to do that so that you start basically giving them an, uh, abundance resource capital. You know, that's how you're going to build that social capital is by first giving, supporting, advocating, um, what that organization is doing. But there's a caution, cautionary tale there, which is that if you're going to commit to supporting someone else in their project, don't commit to something that you can't follow through on. Because if that organization is now depending on you to provide a particular role and you don't can't follow through on it, well, that's not going to end up as a, as as good social capital. So um, so be careful on what you say yes to and what you commit to, but definitely provide some kind of support and commitment to it. Um, and then be a good communicator. And in, in, in the end, um, you know, good communication is it's it's fuel for the relationship. And so. You want to be able to communicate yeses as much as uh, noes as much as yeses um, in, in that. Um, what are some other other points for 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 building social capital? I find that the more that you give without asking for something in return, that inevitably people want to offer you something in that type of a relationship. So the more you give and you're not asking for a lot in return, when you do need something, those people are going to show up for you. Or they're going to say, hey, Matt, do you want to be part of this project? Because dang, it's been so amazing with all the support you've been providing us and the platform you've given us. And I think this could be a really good match for you. So in my experience, a lot of my business has actually been built on these relationships with cities and schools and organizations and individuals that I've given a lot to it might be design time. It might be a volunteer to teach. It might be a volunteer to organize a, a garden installation or whatever, or facilitate a meeting or, you know, whatever it is. And then eventually those lead to jobs. Those lead to actual opportunity, livelihood makers, um, as people, cause you know what it is? It's about trust. That's ultimately what it comes down to. It comes down to trust and you have to build trust with people and you, and so you have to invest in a relationship to build that trust and then you can, you know, grow from there. Yeah. Trust is a, is a really important one. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. We need to trust ourselves enough to uh, express ourselves the right way, but then we also need to be able to trust that people will see what we actually mean, you know, despite our failures, you know, at the same time, because we're all going to make mistakes, you know, we're all going to uh, uh, meet that break point in where we're, we're, we grow as a communicator in that moment, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, and those are really important moments when, when you're building relationship with somebody organization and an issue crops up, a mistake is made. How are people reacting in that situation? Those for me are telltale signs of whether I want to continue the relationship or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I, and often, I mean, you know, it doesn't happen too often, but sometimes um, a mistake is made and the response, the follow up is 
challenging for me. And when those times happen, then I start questioning, do I, is, do I want to keep investing in this relationship? Is this, <laughs> please, am I going to thrive by continuing in this? Because one thing we know is mistakes are going to happen again and again and again and again and again yeah. and forever. And so, how, and so, you know, I always co- find it a blessing when issues come up in partnerships that kind of reveal um, the communication and cultural pattern of, of that um, person or group. And, and, and that, that reveal allows me to, you know, all right, am I cutting my losses now? Or am I diving in deeper? Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the response is, wow, that was amazing. This issue came up. Look at the way people stepped up. Look at the way people came together. Look at the camaraderie. Look at the support. I'm actually going to invest more in this relationship now because I just believe so much in what they're doing and how they're approaching it. And this is one of the things that we've noticed here in the response to the California firestorm is the way people are showing up, stepping up to the plate um, for, for free, volunteering, you know, bringing resources to the table, bringing their time to the table, working collaboratively. It's, it's I don't know if I've seen it other, other than maybe past large scale activist campaigns where a diversity of people come together to work and support each other towards a common goal. I have never seen the kind of collaboration, camaraderie, um, diverse communal support systems that we have seen with uh, the response to the firestorm. And we've seen some really crappy stuff, too. We've seen some, a lot of people being taken advantage of. And, you know, so we've seen the dark side of it. But the light side of, um, of, of the community response has been, you know, awe-inspiring. And that's the hope. That, that is the hope. Because, I mean, the reality is, is that we have an invisible fire, you know, and it's nonstop and it's worsening exponentially. So that, that community spirit that feels so fleeting in some in some areas is there it is in all of us i was telling someone today i was like you know most of those people were talking to watch mr rogers with me when i was a little kid too so you know they understand they know how to be nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah and people do they really do they know what 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 it feels like and when they realize it's there they're like, wait a second, this grows here? And it's like, yes, compassion grows in your community. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wait, I want to protect this. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, I really love what you said about that, that the, the invisible fire is here. I mean, that, that, is, that is spot on, man. I'm, I, was, I was giving a talk um, to some folks a few weeks ago about the fires. And we were talking about all this same kind of stuff and the, and the community building and the recovery efforts and the support. And at one point in the conversation, it was like, well, what do we do now? And I had that exact same thing, almost word for word. I was like, well, the truth is the fire's raging. Even though it's the Northern California fires are put out, even when the SoCal fires are put out, the fire's been raging for a while. You know, our, the fire in our communities, the, the fire in our food shed, the fire in our water sheds, the fire in our fiber sheds, like, like fires are raging around us right now just every day. And so if we do step up to the plate, um, understanding the ultimately the global crisis that we're in and that we do have the ability to support each other. We can show up for each other. And um, 
then, you know, we're really shining a light on what's possible. And, and not that I want to always be in crisis mode. I don't want to advocate for always feeling like we're responding to crisis um, because there's a lot of trauma that is involved in the crisis, um, a lot of collective trauma when these things happen. But you know what? There's so much built up trauma in our communities from hundreds of years of catastrophe that um, that, you know, the more that we can bring that healing and that support into our everyday actions, I think um, the world will be a better place. Yeah, and I think it's through, you know, the localization, like what's happening right now in the Sonoma County, Sebastopol community, especially in Sebastopol. This change um, that's occurring is the change that needs to occur for us to deal with that, you know, climate change, global desertification, the, the breakdown of biodiversity. These things, the only way we actually can address them is by relocalizing, by knitting together as a community, by healing ourselves, dealing with our own waste and food. And then, you know, and by doing that, we take the pressure off. And mm-hmm. then we can actually move things around because it's not as much pressure on them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's first we need to, we need to put our own homes in order. <laughs> Yeah. And that's going to be contextual, right? Like Mm -hmm. depending on if you live in the city, then, then putting your home in order might be like on a neighborhood scale. Oh yeah. It might, it's going to be collective organizing, um, and probably more of a social frame at first because of just how much the community has to come together in order to set up the infrastructure to have the physical, um, implementation of it. Um, so it's, so it's all contextual. It's going to go so much faster in the city. I just saw a vision. I just felt it because I've seen this. You know, in the Mormon community, you get people together and suddenly you see them move things and they just do this incredible work. This is what's going to happen. They're going to have fun doing this. And then suddenly it's going to become a social, like, it's going to become the community Mm. doing these Mm -hmm. activities. And then it's going to become this joy. And because it's a community that's social, it's going to outpace the rural and the suburban because even though they don't have land, they're going to, they have so much social capital that they're going to be able to turn their garbage into gold. They're going to be able to, to, to get together and to make sophisticated demands because they're so close together. They're so t- united. This, mm. this change can happen so much faster than we understand if we get to that point where we start really choosing community, choosing the joy, choosing, you know, the the centropic the life begets life begets joy begets joy and when we start on that path i feel like it won't i mean it it it, for me every day it grows every year every month it grows and grows and this hope that i felt that that started me on this path that pulled me out of the public school system it's it's went from this you know this wild you know like nitrogen fixing weed you know to like this this mighty tree that that i can see within the sapling that i currently am and so i i just know the future is going to be incredible and and you're right at the center of it i'm so excited to watch what happens in sebastopol in sonoma county over the next five years because it's going to be one of the leading examples and i hope that our listeners take heed and go and check out this course and take this course immerse themselves become the ecological landscaping answer 
the centropic force in your area. Mm, thank you. And and let me just say that one of the reasons why we took the Elm School online was because we we realize that the kind of work that we've been doing in our community for the past 30, 20, 30 years, I mean, it was happening before I came onto the scene, is necessary everywhere. And so rather than having people move out to where we are, I want to empower people where they are. To your listeners, I want to empower you where you are. And often, because we have different cultures, we have different demographics, we have different environments, it is looks different in each place on the the landscape restoration, the community healing is going to look different in each place. But the thing is, we have a recipe for observation and listening and reading the landscape of community and reading the landscape of nature and identifying the gaps and the problems that need to be solved in each community. And every person who's inspired enough to create a livelihood and a career to restore the planet in their community, they can do it in their own community. I truly believe that. The path might look different than my path or your path, but that's okay. It should be different. It has to be different because it has to be seated in the reality of the context that they live in. And so that's just what the Eco Landscape Mastery School is all about, is about giving people that recipe, that those principles, that process to do that in their own communities and turn every one of our communities into ecological oases and peaceful community connections. What a gift. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm going to put the link below. I hope that everyone goes and clicks on it and I can't wait to talk and share again with you this is just incredible your progress uh i know is going to continue to inspire us and we're going to keep learning from you for years to come and everybody should get that regenerative career guide <laughs> let me tell you we are going to be promoting that thing as far and wide as we can because what a gift to our world to highlight all the different paths that people can take to create a career and a livelihood healing the planet. This is what we need in our time right now. And there are so many more opportunities than I think people realize um, to align their passion with restoration and align their career and their livelihood with doing this good in world, uh, work in the world. So thank you, Matt, for everything you're doing uh, to make this happen. Well, together, we all can make it happen. And that's the key. That's the lesson I think we can take away from this is that it's the connections we make that forge the path ahead. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, brother.